Does your broker tell you they're managing your retirement money on a daily basis? Really? So when they're on vacation, how does that work? Do they have computers doing their job for them? Is that reliable money management? Is it time you learned how to have reliable retirement income, keeping your principal, and protect your gains with a higher income strategy? That's why to tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Eric Hallaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategy strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Hey, folks, welcome to the show. Happy Father's Day. As many of you know, uh, this is uh, a very sacred day for me. I always talk about uh, my family, my dad, of course. Uh, many of you have heard his interviews in the years past. And I want you to know that that is uh, special because you come in, you talk to me about it. I appreciate that you uh, share with me some of the special memories that you've had about the stories that he shared with me and with you. Uh, and so I, I want to replay the show. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, because it's made a difference in your life. You've shared that with me, the stories. But I also want to share with you that, that it's a very difficult time in our lives. He passed away this last week and I was hoping to have him on the show one more time. Uh, he wasn't sick for any length of time. He was having lunch the day before with his friends and and uh, had a wonderful time with his family the day before and in the morning uh, woke up not feeling great and uh, and then passed away. So I share that with you because uh, I know many of you loved uh, the stories that he shared with you and the kind of things that he did in his life. And I'm going to do that here at the uh, top and the bottom of the hour. I'm going to share with you some, sh- some stories additionally to what you're going to hear on the show, but I want to replay this particular show just for you. Eric Hallaby on the Total Financial Hour. That's with my dad coming up here on the replay, but it's a good time for Father's Day. Stay with me, and I'll come back in after the top of the hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab all right, we're on the show. Thanks for joining me. My name is Aaron Fallaby. Special edition today, Total Financial Hour. Happy Father's Day to all of you that are fathers. As a person who understands in life, right, things happen, things change. Uh, and as they do, you try to grasp those moments. You try to grasp those times where you can uh, cherish it, maybe even replay moments, things you should have said and, and didn't say. And the goal was to try to try to live a forgive uh, you know a life full of forgiveness repentance chance for you to go back maybe if you can sometimes you can't right but let's learn let's learn some financial strategies let's learn some tips and tricks because you can learn a lot from those that have come before you both things that they did right and certainly things that they did wrong we've done uh, enough of those as we go through so joining me today is my special guest mr mike hallaby hi dad hi how you doing Ed? i am very well so my dad is joining us today. It's very exciting. One of the things that I think matters more than anything is to publicly tell people thank you. 
So one of my reasons for having you on the show today is to tell you thank you. Thank you for being my dad. Thank you for being an amazing influence. One that, gosh, if I could only do my best to live up to half of the kind of man you are, I, I would have a good start in life. You're welcome, and I am very proud of you. I hope you have a lot of happiness in life. Thank you, Dad. And you have uh, beautiful kids, and God bless you and take care of yourself. Thank you. You know, you, uh, you took some big risks as a young man. I forget, because when I was younger hearing these stories, you always seemed so much older, you know, like 35. Oh, my. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, he was 30 when he did that or 40 when he did this. I want folks to learn a little bit about you, because I think from a history standpoint, we all have a place that we come from, and it makes a, a little bit of a difference. Tell me about where you grew up and a little bit of the, the place, the type, the kind of house you lived in. Well, I'm... Uh I was born and raised in Lebanon, and I went to school in Lebanon. I was in a little town called Ainanu, and it is a beautiful town. And uh, we have very nice neighbors and a very good community. And uh, I attended school in Ainanu while, when I was uh, a certain age, and then I went into college uh, in another town. When I was uh, 17, uh, I had a chance to travel and go to West Africa, Liberia. So you were in West Africa, Liberia, because yeah. you were following your father. But That's wh right. What kind of business did your dad do in Beirut, in Lebanon, when you were there? In Lebanon, he, has, he was a taxi driver. He raised uh, 10 kids, and he made a good living for all of us. All of us. Driving a taxi. And back then, the taxi That's was, right. the taxi was uh, uh, your own car, really, wasn't That's it? That's right, yes. And it was very expensive to, to buy the license for the taxi over there. Yeah. So, they would drive the taxi, just like a normal taxi. I guess they were uh, Jiddo, which is what we say is grandfather in, in Arabic. Yes. So my Jiddo was probably the first Uber driver. Just about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Back then. What do you have as a child? What did you have as a child that you don't think kids have today? Because you grew up in a time where there wasn't the computers, there wasn't the internet. But what do you think you had that maybe other kids today may not have? Well, we have love for one thing from our parents, and they and we have a good living. They provide us with uh, everything we needed. But you know, when you have ten kids, you know you cannot ask for everything. You know, you just have to uh, do what you have to do. You know, when uh, and you were in the middle of those ten kids. That's right. Yes. So financially, did the, did you guys sit around the table and talk about mergers and acquisitions and uh, stock market leveraging? <laughs> there was no such thing. <laughs> Probably not. Huh? No, no, not at all. <laughs> But the cornerstone of success for a Lebanese family was owning your own business, right? A lot yes. of them were, owned, were their own business. Owners. Absolutely. Lebanese, uh, they've been called Phoenician from day one, and they are the one who does uh, travel. And trade, huh? They trade, and they made these boats from the cedar of Lebanon, and they travel all over the world, yes. And, so uh, when, tell me, when you went to West Africa, Liberia, you were 17 years old or so. Yes. What was the reason you went to West Africa? For what purpose? Well, my dad was there, and he had a business, and uh, I spoke the language, uh, English language, and I was able he able to help him in the store. And uh, So they had a grocery yeah. store. Yes. And then you started getting a, a little bit into the business of, of other things, too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, we have a store called Mer General Merchandising. Because over there, you cannot be specialized in one thing. You have to have just about everything in the store. 
During that time, uh, we have like uh, diamond mines. Uh, yeah, a lot of diamond uh, discovered yeah. discovery, and and, and the, the, the natives, the folks that were living there, yeah, uh, didn't realize that Westerners had value in these quote stones or rocks. Absolutely, and so there was a trade, and they would almost, I guess, kind of laugh at you or think yeah. that you were you were buying something that was so plentiful, but, but there was diamonds uh, there in the, in the the trade. Yes, of course. I mean, uh, but very soon they get educated, you know, because a lot of people get involved in this diamond and the mining part of it. And it was a little distance, like a day walk or day and a half walk from where my store was, our store was. So I've got a question. The general merchandising store that Jiddo had. Now, let's think about this. That was like a Walmart. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just like that. So here, Jiddo was one of the first Uber drivers. He was one of the first Walmart before Walmart, because this is in the in the 40s. And what was his first name? Arif. Just like your name. So I'm thinking Arif Mart. Was that the name of it? I'm hoping it was. Arif. <laughs> <laughs> Arif is his first name, yes. Yeah, that's, what, that's who I'm named after, is my grandfather, that's an amazing right. guy. That's Too bad it wasn't Arif Mart, and then we Mart. took it around the world. So uh, in that process of learning about business and learning about profit and, and markup, you guys would do what we call profit and loss sheets, sheets today, where you would inventory, we need to order more of this, this isn't moving, so we need to discount it. And you were involved in some of those decisions as a manager, if you will, of the store. Yeah, actually, I was doing everything, you know, ordering and then even sometime go down to the capital and pick it up, you know, and uh, bring it into the store and display it and then and selling it. You know, the native comes in and buy from us and and we have shelves, you know, like uh, all the stores, you know. With yeah, normal shelving. Yeah, normal shelving so with different things. This is important because when you learned about this and you were doing this, you were in your mid to late 20s before you left Africa. So that means you had a career, you were an established person in that community, and for various circumstances, you've decided to come to the United States. When you did, you arrived in to New, New York. New York. And once you arrived in New York, tell me, tell me basically what happened. Were you thinking, I'm going to open up a grocery store here in New York? Well, I came into New York, and when I first arrived to the airport, I don't know where to go. So I just seen everybody carrying a bag and going into a bus. So and I thought maybe this bus will take me into a hotel. Uh. So I asked the driver, I said, uh, you go to a hotel? He said, yeah, yeah, get in. <laughs> so I put my bag in and I, uh, I went in the bus and then he took me to a bus station. I uh. said, where's the hotel? He said, no, you have to take a cab from here to the hotel. So we called in a cab, and then uh, I said the closest hotel to the bus because I didn't have that much money, so I want to watch my spending. Sure. So he took me to a hotel called Taft Hotel. The Taft. At that, that time, the, they charged $10 a night at the hotel. Now, the Taft Hotel, you were there during the same period of time that the World's Fair was happening. Well, yeah, New York World's Fair. So pause for a minute, because my mom, who was still 17, I think, at the time, leaves her small town in Michigan and goes to the World's Fair for their senior trip in high school. That's true. And what hotel did they stay at? Taft Hotel. So they were at the same hotel at the same yeah, time yeah. that you were there. Of course, you didn't meet. Of course not. Fast forward, mom returns back to small town in Michigan, and during the summer of 1964, your first date 
was her 18th birthday. That's right, yeah. And she met you at the grocery store because she would go there every day. With her mother. Yes, her mom would come with yeah, her shopping. Yeah, come shopping. And I started working at that store, and then I was selling them goods from that store. And four and a half weeks or so later from Hello? We met uh, and uh, get married. And you came uh, to California. And we decided to come to California. So... You know, I understand, guys, today that your goal is to go through life and to have counseling, and you should. You should have understanding of who you are. But there's a level of commitment, commitment to your success, commitment to your dreams, commitment to your family. Listen, fathers, there are a lot of you out there that have made mistakes. I'm not saying perfect. You understand that? I'm saying you've made mistakes. But honor, commitment, loyalty, those are very valuable things that you should have as the forefront of the values that you teach your children. Because there's going to be a time when your influence face-to-face is away from them. So as a teenager, did you do anything interesting? Were you, did you have a chance to be a teenager? Not really, because like I said, when I left uh, Lebanon, I, I was still young and I have to go to work in Africa. And then I start uh, also getting involved in the diamond business, buying diamond from, the, from an area called Lofa River. That's where they were getting the diamond and selling it, so I didn't have much. Uh, so your teenage life wasn't about, uh, you know, having this transition from manhood, basically, no. folks. Because you helped drive a taxi, didn't you, in Lebanon, in uh, Beirut? Did you yeah, help without a license? <laughs> <laughs> As a, do you remember how old you were? Well, I was like fifteen, sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple other questions for you, Dad. Now you come to the United States, you come to California because you and Mom get married. You drive. West. You come to California. It took you a few days because that's kind of your quasi honeymoon, even though you were married a few months at that time. When you arrived in California, you had a couple of things that you were doing. And one of those is you got an address and a name and a job when you arrived. And that was to manage a gas station. Where was that gas station located? Well, actually, I have a, uh, a distant cousin who owned a gas station in La Crescenta. And at that time, the, the name of the gas station was Wilshire. And he, I was offered a job with him, and uh, he, he put us in his house for for a week or two until we get our, our own apartment and we start working there. Your mindset was never to go and find that best job where you where you could never get laid off because, folks, you understand that doesn't exist. I don't care what title you have. Look at CEOs, vice presidents. Um, top sales managers. It doesn't matter when a new management team, when a new direction comes in, you lose your job. But, Dad, you didn't want to do any of those kinds of levels. You said, I wanted to own my own business. For what reason? Because uh, we never worked for anybody in our life. Yes. And uh, normally, Lebanese, like I said before. You had that goal of trying to. That's right. So I have a chance to uh, run to a situation. Uh, a friend of uh, ours uh, own a bakery in the city of commerce. Okay, city of folks, so I want you to remember this. Now, you guys call it pita bread. We grew up with it being called Arabic bread. In that's, fact, that's I didn't even know what pita bread was uh, for quite some time. And dad, so so through that time you had a bakery that lasted for a period of time and then you you changed. You got into the bar business. Yes. So you had multiple bars at one time. After the bakery was sold and then we I went into the beer bar business, yes, and uh, I get one in Watts. The first one is uh, called Caravan Club, and I used to have live music uh, every weekend. Uh, Jimmy Nolan, if I remember the name. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, he was the band leader. Unfortunately, I have a partner. He wasn't too, too honest. <laughs> yeah. 
So we end up selling the business, and then uh, I move on my own. And then I uh, bought my own in Pocoima, and one in Granada Hill, and one in Sagos. So I was running all three of them. Plus, uh, I did uh, get a little cafe at the Whiteman Airport. The Whiteman Airport Cafe for the pilots was something that you and, right. and I think Mom was also there, right? You had the kids in the back, right? In the in the carriers, you know, my older sister, myself, whoever was was born at that time. Folks, why I share this with you, and I want you to hear this story, is because part of what is necessary is for you to see the different career choices. Because when you go through life and you hear people make decisions, right, and they say, oh, I guess that's my degree, that's my career, I guess that's it forever, I'm going to end up staying in that world, you can make a change. The career that you choose, the options you choose, if it doesn't work, you have permission to back up and start again. Fathers, you have made choices. You all know that I was a Los Angeles policeman for 10 years, 7 months, and 3 days, I think. (laughs) I could tell you the hours, but it wouldn't count. It wouldn't matter that much. Not because I chose to leave. It wasn't my first choice. We had businesses, I had opportunities, I was investing, I was making, uh, doing lots of investments from uh, uh, 1986 on. And exactly 22 years ago today is when I started in the financial services business. 22 years ago today. That means for you, I went as an avocation, meaning I was investing for myself, my friends, my family, you know, kind of doing whatever you do as a, as a guy who, who wants others to succeed, to all of a sudden making changes and becoming as a, as a profession. And now having one of the top financial firms, we're blessed and honored and humbled And what we do, we're in the top five of the country. I love that, but here's what matters to you. You can make a change. Bakery, bar, diamond business, grocery store, taxi cab. And you weren't even 35 years old yet. No. So this is important, folks, because I want you to think about this. You can make adjustments and changes. Dad, one of the things that uh, I ask is this, because we rely a lot on history. We're a family of not letting down the people that come before you. And dads, this is, dad, here's one thing that you did for me, that every time we made decisions and choices, or we were going to go out to a party, or we were going to go do something or go away, you know, you, you would say, uh, not, not so much what we say today to our family, or to, we sit, tell our kids, make good choices. And if their friends are close by, we just say, MGC. And the kids go, yeah, of course. We say, make good choices. Because you're not put, I don't care if you're a single mom, single dad, I don't care what position you're in, the kids still have choices and options. And you told us something, Dad, that was very important, and it was this. It was, there were people that came before you, and don't mess up the Hallaby family name. Because the Hallaby family name, people that have come before you, have an amazing history, but it's over. They're done. I always felt my job was to stand on your shoulders and to go as reach as far as I can so that my kids could someday stand on my shoulders. Sometimes we go up a little bit for the next generation. Sometimes we take giant leaps. For you to leave the villages of Lebanon, when it was still a very peaceful time, okay. to come to the United States and to raise a family away from the Civil War. Because if we fast forward now, you owned a produce delivery business and you had that for quite some time. And, Dad, you did something that was pretty incredible to me. Now, remember, back then you were old to me (laughs) because you were 40. And you went 
to Lebanon in the middle of the Civil War to bring out members of your family. Tell me about one of those stories. Just just pick one. My family was uh, in the middle of the Civil War, actually. And uh, the only thing I could do is to save them that for me to travel into Lebanon in the middle of the Civil War and try to get them into a safer place, uh, which uh, we did take them into Jordan, Amman. So, so you had a couple of things happening. One of those is the missiles were being launched from village Absolute. to village across these uh, canyons, if you Absolute. will, or valleys. Yeah, I was sitting at one of my brother's houses and trying to get them to to pack up and start, you know, start uh, the, the trip. And then all of a sudden a missile came in and hit uh, uh, the town, but uh, three or four houses down from my brother's house. And I was sitting on the chair, but that time the pressure threw me off that chair in the air and threw me right down on the, on the ground. And then I, when I got up, I said, that's it back up, let's leave now. And that's what we did, and uh, we tried to get them as soon as possible to get them out of the country. So you left, did. remember what time of night that was that you guys started leaving? It was in the evening, and then uh, we took a taxi driver from from uh, from the town into the border of, uh, of Damascus. But on the way up there, the driver refused to continue driving because the, all the missiles been hitting. So he said it's safer if to go. We go south, south of uh, Beirut, and then go up from the back way, which we did. But we have to drive like couple hour extra to get into the Syrian border. And finally, we did get there safe. And then we have to wait at the at the border, you know, to get all that paper check all the papers. So what's interesting, folks, is th this is what, what I always found so fascinating. You left a wife and four kids behind. Yes. I'm sure a little bit of savings. You had a business, but mom wasn't going to be carrying, you know, be uh, boxes of tomatoes to Pup and Taco and to the Chinese restaurants that you serviced, right? Some of, some of you guys will remember Pup and Taco. And he had all of the routes for lettuce and tomatoes and bring me cheese, whatever, whatever produce, I guess. Onions. Be, yeah. Onions and cheese. Yeah. Onions, tomatoes, lettuce. So as you would deliver, well, so while you're gone, the business still had to succeed. I think you hired a relative or cousin yes. or somebody that was yes. here. Yes, I did hire somebody to take my place, and then yes, that'll give me a chance to go and come back. And this was before the internet, FaceTime, email, cell phones. This was. Uh, I remember mom would sleep so lightly in the middle of the night, the phone would ring. Now my mom was about thirty years old when this. Actually, she was less. She was twenty nine years old when when you left. I think somewhere around that. Something like that. What a an honorable woman to stay behind and then to be there to receive. I had mom on Mother's Day here. To be there to receive your family, people she never met, she certainly couldn't communicate with. And this is important because you selected a wife way back when, and she selected a husband. Mm -hmm. And in that period of time, you don't know. There, was no, there wasn't a civil war in love, but you didn't think you were going to be bringing out in an emergency scenario, massive members of your family. What is that like as a financial burden? You weren't thinking my retirement accounts are going to suffer because I think you sold the house in Panorama City at the same period of time. Yes, actually we did. Uh, and we, we made a few dollars, you know, on the house. And that's when we bought the other house in Silmar. But, uh, 
your mom, she was uh, incredible. She she did uh, such a good job and uh, was able to keep the family together and uh, and welcome uh, my family into our house. You know, I have four kids and then one of my sister and her husband and she had three kids and so we all stayed in one house. And not only that, she was taking them to school with uh, with your guys. I remember I, yeah. I, I remember getting into a couple of fights in the second yeah. or third grade <laughs> yeah. protecting my cousins because some of the kids would try to bully them. And Yes. So it, it was a tough time, but we managed, and thank God for that. An amazing opportunity, guys. We're going to take a, a break here in a, a couple of minutes here. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes as we do. And we're going to uh, continue with my dad. You got any questions uh, about that time? I want you to ask him. This is your chance to find out about me. <laughs> but more importantly about him as my father and, and somebody that I want to honor. And uh, as the word says, right, you're supposed to honor your mother and father. Not agree with them. Not to d- do uh, uh, everything for them. Not have them do everything for you. Not, not even give them lots of money, right, to, to, to honor your mother and father. And then from there comes joy better than happiness right don't forget that joy and holiness is much better than happiness happiness can only be there with joy and holiness and that's what we're instructed to do uh real quick give me a story about um maybe one of the best memories of your childhood anything that you have that uh you can share with us in a minute i'll let you think about that because you're thinking (laughs) We're going to take a break here in just a minute. We're going to continue with the Total Financial Hour, folks. This is me, Arif Hallaby, on the special edition, my Father's Day edition. If you're just joining us, we lost him this past week. He passed away at a young 89 years of age. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab If you're just joining us, this is a special edition. Uh, my father passed away this past week. Uh, very dramatic over the last, uh, oh, Trying times for our families, you can imagine. Being married 50, I guess coming up on 59 years. Wow. Four and a half weeks from hello to I do. That was mom and dad. They knew each other just a short time. But it did teach me about commitment, following your word, having a family. Within about nine years, they had four children and raised us in such a way to always remember to care for each other. And remembering to honor his memory if you have lost your father like we did this last week or so. Uh, But this special edition is about fathers. And if you still have a dad, boy, folks, you are blessed. Hard to say it when uh, when you don't get a second chance. Stay with me as I replay one of my Father's Day special with my dad, my hero. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. About financial Welcome back to the show, the Total Financial, financial Hour. This is our special edition. I'm here with my dad, Mike Hallaby. I want you to learn a little bit about being a father from a father of a father, right? Why does that matter? Because so many of you, maybe you didn't have a chance to meet your dad or, or spend a lot of time with him. Uh, for some of you, you've adopted other men. And I think there's a very special place in heaven, if you will, for men who have taken care of children that were not their biological children. 
A lot of you men did it. You stood up. You stepped up. You did it to your stepchildren. You, you took responsibility. You raised them as if your own. Folks, to me, that is a very honorable place to be. Many men uh, abrogated their responsibilities. They said, oh, you know, now that I moved out, I'm done. Or the kids did, you know, yelled at me or cursed at me, so I'm finished. Well, that doesn't change anything. Dad, one of my favorite stories when I got into an argument with my sister, I remember. And you said to me, oh, I must have been uh, maybe 12 years old, something like that. And I was mad and, and I stomped my foot and whatever else I did as a, as a 12-year-old. And, and you said, you know, you, you never came to me right at that time and said something. I think you were good at allowing the system, the, the situation to calm down a little bit. And you would call me over and you said, you know, Eric, whatever happened to your friend Marky? All right, folks. Mark Silva, if you're out there, my friend Marky from, from El Dorado, Silmar area, Silmar uh, Junior High, Olive Vista Junior High, right? Whatever happened to Mark? I said, oh, I don't know. It's been a while. I haven't heard. I don't know. He said, huh. Whatever happened to, to Chris, so-and-so? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, gosh, weren't you really close friends in elementary? Oh, yeah, Dad. We were really close. You guys used to hang out and play together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, do you remember back then your sister was your sister? Today, your sister is your sister. And tomorrow, your sister will still be your sister. Don't ever forget that she doesn't change. Your friends can come and go, but your sisters never change. I thought that was pretty powerful because there are relationships in life where forgiveness is very important to make that part work. And if you don't do it right, folks, there's a chance to go back and say sorry. You know, one of the things that you did, Dad, is you said some. I, I asked you just before, what was your favorite memory as a child in childhood? Because you kind of had to grow up quickly. You're in the villages of Lebanon, and there isn't a lot of uh, extra money, but there is a time when you uh, had a chance to, to be a boy, be a young boy. Tell me about that. Hold on just a second. I'll get your, back, I'll get your microphone on. Uh, Joe, let's get the microphone on again, please, for guests. There we go. Okay, go ahead. You know, coming from a big family, 10 kids, you know, and uh, sitting around the table having breakfast together and talk to the sister and brothers, and, uh, you know, that, uh, that uh, was something you don't forget all your life. It is, uh, it's a thing uh doesn't happen again because you lose sisters and you lose brother in life and stuff like that. And this memory stays with you all your life, you know, that uh, when you were together and when you were having breakfast or lunch or dinner and getting together, you know, this is, this is something you don't forget. When I was a young boy and I used to remember how hard you would work or sometimes you would travel a lot, have to go to New York for a period of time after the produce business. My dad worked for Iraqi Airlines. And uh, when, when you hear me talk about people that lose their pensions, folks, a 55-year-old man, right? Iraq invaded Kuwait. Now, remember, my dad had nothing to do with going with being uh, Iraqi. <laughs> he had nothing to do with the war. But what did he do? Simply worked for the company. It was an airline owned by a socialist government. Iraq was a socialist economy. That means all the revenue fed right into the government of Iraq. Well, that's okay. That's, I mean, a lot of countries do that. But why that matters a lot is because he was about 55 years old and lost his entire pension in 1990. What do you do? Not you, even that. You had to start over, right? Start over on even my last check. I didn't even... That's right. The last check bounced. <laughs> oh, yeah. I couldn't even cash it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. No, uh, uh, sorry from, and you had your own personal money in the safe. I remember. Yes. And I was a policeman at the time. I remember as a Los Angeles policeman, they even confiscated because the FBI and the treasury department raid the, all the offices. I think there were five across the country raids, the offices and everything is now us government seized property, including my picture as a police officer in front of the American flag. And they kept it for years. The cash that he had, the personal cash in the safe, they kept for years. They wouldn't give... Did you ever even get your shotgun back? You yes, a, yeah. yes, they did, actually. Yeah, so he had a gun, uh, right? Iran and Iraq were fighting, no. so, so he had a gun behind the scenes. So why that matters is you guys understand that he started over not once, but probably 20 times. And as a man, I saw that my dad would work, and he would go, and he would have to provide for the family. So I want you guys to forgive your dads. If you don't know or understand the pressure of raising four children and being there for your family, remember the, they, they need things from you now and again. So that's an, that's an important part. Dad, I've got another question for you. Tell me, uh, when you were growing up, if you could go back in your childhood and change one thing, what would that be? Anything that you can think of? Not really. Just... Uh I like to keep that good memories, you know, we have in the past and uh, with the family. Yes. Yeah. This, uh, how uh, old were you when your dad left to Africa? When my dad left to Africa? Yeah. Do you remember how old you were? Yeah. I was like uh, 14 or 15. And your older brother took over the taxi business and you would right. fill in now and again. Yes. Officially, unofficially as a 14, 15 year old taxi driver. Right. Hey, we've got a special caller on the line. Uh, let's see who this might be. Uh, this is Arif Hallaby and special guest Mike Hallaby, my father, on Father's Day special. Welcome to the Total Financial Hour. Who's on the air? Hello. I happen to be your mother. Oh, hello, mother. And hello, honey. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you for calling. Hi, hi sweetie. How are you doing? Doing just fine. Thank you. Well, hey, Mom. So I've got a, <laughs> I've got a question for hi. you. As a Father's yes. Day special, we're talking about Dad's life and coming to the United States and making all the changes uh, that he had to, to continually adapt during the difficult job times and the careers and making adjustments. I never saw you lose faith in him. I never saw you look at him and think things were not going to be okay. Now, maybe you did, right? Husbands and wives behind closed doors say and do a lot of things. But I never felt as a child that you gave up or lost faith in him. You know, you, you think about that and... <clears throat> I don't know what happened when we met, but someone had a hand in our relationship, and you know who I'm talking about. Uh, he made us faithful to each other and faithful to what the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do for him to go over to Jordan for two and a half months. It was the right thing to do for him to bring 35, 40 people here. Well, th they all have great lives now. They do not have to worry about a bomb hitting their house. Yes. We had faith in each other in making decisions that were good for my, our four kids and for his family. But even before I was and born, even before I was born, the, it didn't seem that you lost faith. But even through that process, right, there wasn't a time when you, when I saw it, so before, right, uh, the bars, the cafe, the bakery, the things that worked out, you sold them, it failed, whatever it was. And then when I started having a consciousness of this stuff was the produce company and then, of course, dad working uh, with a suit and tie, right? Big switch. 
to uh, exactly sales manager for North America, cargo manager for North America for Iraqi Airlines. During that period of time, did you feel you, you never gave up? I mean, I know we, you might have struggled financially now and again. We never knew about that as much, but, but you never seemed to give up. You can't give up on your life and on your family. You just can't. You have to uh, support each other and love each other and keep in mind the end goal. Your end goal is to have a happy family, a, a successful family, what is the and one what is the one trait? Tell me about this. We have just another minute. Tell me the trait okay. or the characteristic of dad that you admired and, and what it was that you saw time and time again. His honesty, his caring about other people. He always put you kids first. He always put his family first. He still does, you know, and in situations that have changed in the last few months. It's always I feel like sometimes I'm number 10, but you have to keep in mind that I'm stuck with him and he's stuck with me, and that's how, that, it's just how it is. You have faith in your partner. You have faith in the father of your children, and you have faith in what it is you're doing with each other and for each other. It's very important. Ed, any uh, comments for you, Dad, before we uh, let Mom go? No, no, she's, she's right, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, Thank you, honey. I think having a little bit of com- uh, comedy as well really makes things uh, <laughs> lighten up because our family was always a little bit on the jokester side. All right, thanks for calling, Mom. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Have a wonderful day. We'll, uh, we'll see you a little bit later for uh, uh, lunch or dinner. I'm not sure what we're doing next. Thanks for calling us. Total okay, Financial Hour. Okay. Er- Arif Hallaby, along with special guest Mike Hallaby. Okay, so we have a couple of things that we're going to talk about here as we finish up this hour of the program. Dad, uh, the special edition of Father's Day, I want to learn a little bit more about the financial decisions that you had made over the years. Tell me one really good one, something that was pretty amazing, and maybe one that wasn't so good and, and that we struggled with, that maybe you struggled with. Well, for one thing, the your house is the important thing, you know, because... That uh, holds the family together. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And that's uh, the most important investment in your life. Uh, And uh, You always kept the house there. Yes. And by doing that, you kept the house available for us to return. Uh, Many of you call them boomerang kids, right? They go and they come back. But you always had us, uh, whenever we returned, we were required to have a plan. What are you going to do next? Tell me about the next step. It wasn't an interrogation. But folks, if you if you have your children come back and they're thinking about thinking about trying about applying for a job and their ability to apply for a job means that they are sitting at home playing on the computer and they send out 47 resumes before 10 a.m. in their pajamas without being shaved or showered or really that is not a job. The way you find a job is you get up your job when you don't have a job is to find a job. That means you get up, you take a shower. You get cleaned up in whatever work uh, clothes, plus one. Really, So if you're a mechanic, you don't go out looking for a job in a mechanic outfit. You wear one step higher. Jeans and a nice, nice shirt, maybe a collared polo. If you're going to be a salesperson, then you wear a suit and tie. But you go out looking like the job. So when, when you sit in my office to ask for a job, I look at you and I say, can I picture you working for me? Can I picture my clients, customers, talking to you? Will you embarrass me? 
Right? We have to say it in a lot of different ways because today everybody wants to be sued about being sued because their feelings were hurt. Do, do you not understand? Nobody gives a crud about your feelings. The law starts to try to create this thing about your feelings. Dad, you worked hard because, not, not because you were running around worried about people's feelings, but one plus one is two and you still needed to take money to the grocery store. Whether people felt like this or wanted that or social justice baloney this. And, and you taught us to not be a victim and to work hard. I don't remember only ever having one job. There was a short period of time when I was in the academy where we weren't allowed to have a second job. But when Iraq invades Kuwait and I was out of the academy for three months or four months, I had to go get two jobs. So I worked three jobs to help out with the family, to make sure there was money in the account if you needed it, to make sure if there was something going on. You know, there's always a backup plan. The family worked together. And as you said, you had a house. And when, we, when I got married and left and then returned, and, and because we, we had a business that was closer, so it was an hour each way, so I could sleep at the house now and again at your house, you always allowed us to have a place to return. But we had to have a plan. And if you don't have a plan, then you're going to be like this 30-year-old kid who had to get sued by his parents to get kicked out. Did you see that? There's a 30-year-old man who, who, who said, yeah, but uh, I, I'm not really costing them that much. And, and I say a little bit to this because we forget that there is a shame. And there, there's, a, there's a saying in Arabic. It's aibashum. Aibashum. Right, which is shame on you. Yes. So when you do something wrong, you know, or you're acting silly, they would say aibashum, which is shame on you. I don't say it with the same accent. <laughs> I think we're missing that. We're missing the fact that you have an obligation to a family. What was your favorite dish? Your parents or grandparents ever cooked? Because your mom was an amazing cook. What was some of the... Di- and then, consequently, you are. You're, you're the uh, consummate cook in our family. Whenever we, we need certain dishes, you're the one. Well, yes, I, I learned that from mom. You know, she's... She, like you said, she is the, one of the best... Uh, well, with, give me a favorite dish. Because today, uh, Arabic food with the uh, different uh, Middle Eastern restaurants around, they're starting to be trendy. and Well... If you, uh, when you talk about salad, for instance, it's ah, the, the tabbouleh. Tabbouleh. But it's the best tabbouleh because it's made By Lebanese style, not exactly, this. Exactly. Not this other. Yeah, it, cry. it tastes different <laughs> from any other tabbouleh they claim. Yes. And we have the hummus also, the Lebanese hummus. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, uh, of course, shish kebab and all that. All the, what was, uh, when you were growing up, Financially, what was the, any message about money that was communicated from your parents to you? Was was there any kind of save for a rainy day or or just, you know get a retirement account? What was their financial message? Buy a house? What, any any uh, memory well, of that? You always have to think about tomorrow, and then that, in order to do that, you have to save some money for tomorrow because you never know what could happen tomorrow. And, uh, you know, investment, it's a very important thing. And, uh, you know, make sure you have enough money for your family and uh, to buy food and the necessary things, you know. Yeah. You would have uh, a p- couple periods of time where you didn't work. One where when you worked for Iraqi Airlines and you moved to New York, you were there for four or five years. And during that period of time, they said, oh, we're going to open an office in Los Angeles. You're only going to be here for a few months. It's only going to be another year. And eventually you just quit. You said, listen, my family's in Los Angeles. I know you explored the opportunity to move to New York. We didn't. 
We stayed in Silmar, and you would come home on weekends. And that was such a uh, difficult time for me as a son because it was during my you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old during that real pivotal time. But I saw hard work, and I saw that here's a man who doesn't let his family down. We never wanted for anything. We didn't have brand new bikes every Christmas. That wasn't what we had. But we never wanted for food. We never wanted for a place to, to sleep. And that was a, an ability to provide that not a lot of people understood because they were thinking, oh, why aren't you, why aren't you getting a job here? Well, it was uh, also hard for me, you know, to be away from the family and also traveling every weekend, you know, coming from New York and flying back on Sunday, coming here on Friday. But uh, this, uh, I have to be here for the weekend with the family and I have to provide for them. And that was the only choice at that time until we opened up an office in Los Angeles. and Yeah, they, they actually came with a couple of men in suits and ties. I remember when this arrived. Yes. The children's job in a Lebanese household is, is to be servants, if you will, a hospitality. Yes. So it's to bring uh, bowls of fruit. It's to bring knives and, and napkins and uh, drinks. We learned how to ask for things in Arabic. Would you like, Would you like water? Would you like tea? Would you like coffee, etc.? And... I remember seeing you greet these men. You knew they were coming, and you purposely didn't dress up in a, in a fancy outfit. I think you were wearing shorts and a shirt or something. And they came in with their briefcases, and they were their job was to ask you to come back to work for them, and you did. Yes. And they were going to open an office, and they did in Hollywood, and that's the one that you were at when uh, the war happened between Iraq and Kuwait. That period of time was uh, a little bit stressful, but you actually had money saved, so you were able to do that. Yeah, I was able to do that because I saved some money. Like I said, I was always thinking about tomorrow. About credit cards. Tell me, why don't, why don't you have 25 credit cards with 50,000 uh, bills? I don't believe in credit card because it's easy to use credit card, but it's harder to pay it yes. if you don't have the money. So I limited myself in that respect. So I don't want to get uh, myself in trouble that way. You know, we never had a new car growing up. I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't remember it. Maybe before I was born or when I was... But I never... I always remember our cars were struggling now and again. Yes. Uh, and if you couldn't pay cash for a car, you didn't get a car. No. Because, like I said, I mean, if I don't have the source of the income, I cannot pay for it tomorrow. So I have to do with, with uh, whichever I have. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I always buy a used car and then manage with it until, you know, times comes, you know. And one of the things that I, in, that I noticed uh, from an interesting standpoint is for you, a retirement account wasn't so much something like a, an IRA. Today, young people, you need to be opening up retirement accounts. That's, that's a part of it that matters. That's what we do. However, you don't understand, folks. That the, back then, the retirement account was your children in some respects. You paid off your house. You had some level of Social Security, so we had a little bit of that. But we also had the time to look in the, in the mirror and not believe that something magical was going to happen at 65. Because you worked past 65, didn't you? It wasn't a big thing for you to continue to work. It, it wasn't something magical that happens at 65. No, of course uh I'm still able to work, and I'm working right now still, actually, and I'm 83. So, 
So age has nothing to do with uh, the ability to work and willing to work. But I think something happens to the mind. Tell me, when you took a little bit of time off, I think you retired for a, a few months or a short bit at age 70, and then you went back to work. For what reason? Well, because uh, when you're used to work and then you quit working, it's kind of difficult because uh, uh, you need to keep moving, you know, in life, so... And I always say, folks, when you retire, you have to have a purpose. And the purpose is greater than you just sitting around waiting to die in a rocking chair. Right. Nothing happens. right? Uh, what, this is important. At age 65, you still pay income tax. About one out of five people that come to my office say, okay, so I'm at 65. I don't pay tax anymore, do I? No, you do. Uh, my Social Security, I don't pay tax on my Social Security, do I? Well, in 1994... Bill, uh, Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich during the tax plan came up with a deal that says, well, we're going to pay tax. Some of you, most of you, quote, the rich will pay income tax, but the rest of you won't. Well, they never move those numbers, just like the alternative minimum tax. It used to be back then you didn't pay tax because you were below the income. So maybe that was in your mindset. But as everybody in inflation and the dollars have met, you still now pay tax on Social Security. Most of you will. So be careful if you're trying to be uh, planning or building your financial life off of the past, knowledge, the information that used to be. All right, Dad, I've got a couple more questions for you as we finish up. Uh, I, I want to know what, what happened, what did you see when your dad struggled and said, it's time for me to go to Liberia for the family, to, go, to open a grocery store or to diamond business? Why did he think that was the only place he could go for an opportunity? And, and what did that do to the family? For one thing, uh, my dad has a brother in, in Liberia before him. He asked him if he could come in there and help him also open up a business, and which he did. But uh, my dad's uh, language was uh, in the English language. It wasn't that good. So that's why he asked me to come in and help him out. Were you the best of the kids as far as speaking English? Yes. And how did you learn it so well? Because you learned it as a boy. Well, in school, the school I went to, it's uh, you're compared to speak uh, two languages, either French or English, and I, I picked English. So. But your, what did your siblings choose? Because they all went to the same school, your sister and brother. No, not necessarily. Oh, n not all of them went to no, school? No, they didn't go to the same school. Okay. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming in, Dad. This is my dad, Mike Hallaby, one of my favorite men in the whole world, a person who was my best man in my wedding. I want you to know that. When I asked him, he said, well, why aren't you asking your friend? I said, it didn't say best friend. It said best man. And that's why he was my best man in my wedding. So very proud of you, Dad. Thank, thank you so much. A son always wants to hear that his father's proud of him. Thanks for being here on a special edition of Father's Day. This is me, Eric Hallaby, on the special edition, my Father's Day edition. If you're just joining us, we lost him this past week. He passed away at a young 89 years of age. At the top of the hour, I'm going to give my final thoughts here on the Total Financial Hours. I replay one of my Father's Day special with my dad, my hero. We'll be right back. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. 
Hey, folks, the Total Financial Hour. It's Sarah Hallaby. Thanks for being a part of the show. Our normal second hour, which is your emails. We're going to put that on hold this week because if you're just joining us, this is a special edition. Uh, my father passed away this past week. Trying times for our families, you can imagine. Being married 50, oh, I guess coming up on 59 years. Wow. Four and a half weeks from hello to I do. That was mom and dad. They knew each other just a short time, but it did teach me about commitment, following your word, having a family within about nine years. They had four children and raised us in such a way to always remember to care for each other. In fact, he always taught us the ability to love one another in our family has to surpass our feelings for the moment. Meaning you're going to get mad at somebody. You're not going to have a good day. Sometimes they're going to be uh, angry with you. And, and as that happens, I guess we had to learn, right? On a special Father's Day edition that a father's love transcends a bad day or a good day and really becomes something of a lifestyle. In other words, remembering to honor your father and remembering to honor his memory if you have lost your father like we did this last week or so. So remembering this, your financial uh, values matter, matters to us, matters to our firm. Uh, But this special edition is about fathers. And if you still have a dad, boy, folks, you are blessed. Hard to say it when uh, you don't get a second chance. Stay with me. At the top of the hour, I'm going to give my final thoughts here on the Total Financial Hours. I replay one of my Father's Day special with my dad, my hero. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Now hey, welcome to the show, the Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Halby. Hey, thanks for being with us this hour of the program. This is our special day. This is Father's Day. Uh, we're blessed again to have him. So we're going to talk about some of the things uh, from a father's perspective of an eight plus decade man on this earth who has had an opportunity to see lots of things and to be a father directly or indirectly to uh, at least dozens of people. We'll learn a little bit about his story as we continue. Part of the thing that uh, I think is important for you as an individual to remember is this. There are going to be people in your life that are fathers in various means or methods, maybe not directly uh, blood-related, but it could be an uncle. It could be a grandfather. It could be anybody in your life that's a man, I think, who has stepped up and taken responsibility as the, the father or the head of the household when it comes to the conversations that only a man can have. Uh, I understand there's all sorts of families and dynamics, and I get it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about perspectives and experiences that only a father, only a man, only a person who has gone through what, what a man goes through. Right? I mean, it's just different. If any of you think that, a, that because the, the latest political revolution says men and women are the same and there isn't any difference and you can be called whatever you want and the, what is it, 72 genders you can put on your driver's license in the state of California. I mean, is that wacky? You guys, you start removing some of the basics. You start removing some of the reality when it comes to uh, what we call family. Well, listen, I'm not saying it has to be 2.4 kids and a mom and a dad in a, in a house and a picket fence, but there is a man in your life, isn't there, who's made a difference. And sometimes it's a financial difference, giving you just that little head start, giving you just that $1,000 to get out the door. Maybe it's the person to get out and say, I don't think I'm going to give you anything. I'm going to give you some advice. You'll always have a phone you can call. Call me back, but you need to move, right? I had a friend recently. He was 18 years old and 18 minutes, and his dad said, you don't have to leave today. 
but just by the end of the month. And I think there was, you know, two weeks left in the end of the month and off he had to go. He's very grateful in the sense today, but he was probably very bitter, went through a lot of ups and downs. But when you don't have a man in your life and you have all that testosterone and you have all of that rage in some cases and you don't know where it's coming from or why, I think it's more difficult. Wouldn't you agree? So joining us today is Mike Hallaby. Mike Hallaby is my dad of the last 51 years. Thank you for doing that, by the way. Thanks for being my dad. You're more than welcome. (laughs) He's been on this planet for um, 80 plus years. And as a man who has uh, really dedicated his life, not just to our family, me, my three sisters and mom, uh, but a man who's dedicated his life to many others throughout the years. And he's not the oldest in his family. You know, normally the oldest uh, child, right, takes over the role of one of the parents, especially when both are working. But uh, he's number three. So there's something to be said where just position in, in the family isn't enough. It's the integrity. It's the leadership skills. It's the person who's willing to step up and not say things like, oh, I'm going to give this. What I, I want you to do as we go forward is kind of share some of your story. So I'm going to have a, a bit of a question and answer. You don't even know these questions. So you're just going to be kind of coming off the top of your head. When you were a, a child, you grew up where? Tell everybody where you grew up. I grew up in uh, Lebanon. Uh, in a little town called Ainanu, but it was a very educated town because we have three schools and the high schools and uh, even a college, and we do have a lot of uh, the American uh, comes in from the United States to teach in the schools, and that's how we were able to speak the language. And uh, when I finish high school, I have the opportunity to travel into West Africa, a country called Liberia. And uh, that's where my dad uh, have his own business there. And because I'm the only one who spoke English at that time, I was able to go and help him with his business in Liberia. Now, to fly on a plane back then must have been incredible because you're it, it, I don't know if there was a direct flight because it was in the in 1950. What was it at the time? You remember? 1954. 1954. You left Lebanon, flew what direction? We went into Paris. Okay. And at that time, uh, we landed in Paris, and then we just walked out of the airport. At that time, there was no restriction like today. No customs, no immigration. No, just go outside and sit and wait till the plane wants to leave. And then... Uh, walk back in to the airport, and then uh, fly back to to Liberia. So you had a bit of a change of a plane. Yes, so, we did. So when you landed in Liberia, you had never been to no. Africa, West Africa, and the humidity and the, and the different culture. I mean, it must have been a bit shocking for you at first. It was. It was very shocking. But I was uh, very lucky to have my uncle met me there. And uh, we drove from the airport, which is like uh, 50 miles from the city, from Monrovia. And uh, it was humid and hot, and it's kind of different. But uh, you you adjust uh, to the weather in time, you know. Your dad was now far away uh, at one point as a child. Do you remember telling, uh, thinking, uh, you know, I miss my father every day, probably, while he was working and in business there? Tell me about the time when he would teach you things. What would he teach you when you first arrived? Because it had been a little while since you had seen him. Well, it's to, to be honest and uh, and do the hard work and uh, try to earn uh, 
live in you know the best way, uh, the honest way, and uh, be be true to yourself and others. When uh, your father decided to pick up the grocery business, what was his occupation before that? <laughs> he was a taxi driver in Beirut, Lebanon. So you guys, my grandfather was a taxi driver in <laughs> Beirut, Lebanon. That's just amazing. It's pretty exciting to think about, uh, yeah. y- you know, from the background of... Uh, did he ever have a dream of coming to the, to America? No, actually, he never thought of that, but uh, I have the opportunity. So, and he came after I came here. Yeah. Yes. I, in fact, I, re- I don't know if he came before I was born, but I do remember one of the times that he came. Uh, mm. It's got to be in the 70s. No, he came after you were born. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the first time he came is the first time. Yeah. And uh, let me tell you, he didn't understand a lot of English, uh, but yeah. me and my grandfather and even my grandmother, for that matter, would communicate you know, in a different way. They were always very proud of you, and they leaned on you for lots of reasons. So your dad, when he would have a problem with the family, how many, how many brothers and sisters? We're 10 total, uh, seven boys and three girls. Whenever there was an issue in the family, the phone would ring. You would get in the car and you'd go somewhere. I don't know, somebody's house or wherever you would go to, to help solve a family dispute or help somebody out of a jam or whatever it was. Yes, of course, because uh, I was the only, the first one who came here and have more uh, knowledge of the of the uh, living here. And uh, I was able to communicate between each others and uh, try to help them. I always saw that in you as a son to a father that when there was a jam, you were the one that was called and you kept a level head, even though sometimes I may want to <laughs> say things behind the scenes. We, uh, you, you kept that level head. It, I think it's what led me to become a Los Angeles police officer and be that guy who, who stood in the middle to solve problems, as a pro- but also later on in life, now for the last 23 years as a financial professional, to sit in the world and say, okay, how do we solve a problem? That came from you. It didn't come from, from seeing it in anybody else's life. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of God-gifted, you know, that person. Uh, and also experience in life, it'll, uh, it'll, it'll get you that way, you know. One of the things that uh, I really like to speak about here is when you were younger, before you left Lebanon, you played some athletics. And in this little town in, in, in Lebanon, Ainanub, up in the villages, it had a couple of things. And when I went back to visit uh, with my mom, first time in 1999, we had a chance to see the area in which you played this sport. And what was it that you used to do as a little little boy? We played soccer. <laughs> <laughs> a big soccer field that was dirt. <laughs> and you guys, it was funny to me because our American kids, right? Oh, my kids, your kids, were generally a little bit spoiled. We don't understand that most of the world, certainly through Africa and the Middle East, they play football or soccer on dirt. Dirt, right, dirt. It, it dirt. isn't played on, you know, this uh, fiscue, green fiscue, blue, uh, green, you know, right? The stuff that we put in our yards. Yeah, we, we didn't have that luxury. No. Know. But you used to play there, and I remember seeing, uh, gosh, how old you must have been, uh, I think you were what early 60s, whatever it was, probably 60-something. But to see you on that field, your face lit up because you just yeah. remembered back to your teenage and your, your preteen years. That's true. Yeah, you remember back. And so you had a couple of things. What was it that sports taught you? Did sports teach you anything when you were a kid? Do you remember having uh, yeah, a coach? of course. I mean, the sport is uh, to get along with the others and uh, keep you healthy. 
and uh, you know communicate with others. And you were somebody who had a coach. Was the coach anybody you can remember? Do you remember anybody that was the the leader, or the older boy, or a coach that was on the team? Well, actually, I was always a coach myself. <laughs> <laughs> this is my surprised face. <laughs> yeah. No, I uh, I always been a leader, even you know since I was little. But uh, you know, to a certain extent, of course, you know, when you're little, that's how much you you can do. You know, today a lot of men will shirk their responsibilities. That means they give it up, right? They will say, "Oh, well, that's not for me. That's the the this old adage. It takes a village." Well, no, thank you. I'll take care of my family. You take care of yours. If you can't take care of yours, then there's great churches and charities and organizations. But this village thing, where we have Sacramento telling us how to raise our children, or Washington D.C., you know what kind of uh, uh, sex ed classes and gender whatever ed classes we're supposed to teach our kids at you know five years old. That's insane to me. Uh, thankfully, my youngest is 19, so I don't have kids in the, the younger schools anymore. But you never shirked your responsibility. You never gave up that responsibility, even when your company transferred you from Los Angeles to New York. And I was in martial arts. I was in jiu-jitsu tournaments. I was in uh, baseball. I played that for a little while. And we were in team sports, fathers uh, or, or a back-to-school night, parents' night. You would still fly in a plane because <laughs> you would come home on weekends. Weekend. How would you do that? Because today I, I fly a, a little bit. I have to go back. But it's just to Las Vegas for a conference and I come back. But you would fly four or five hours across the country. Every weekend. Yes, going yeah. and coming. Yeah, I come in on Friday and go back on Sunday. It's uh, when you're young, uh, I think it, this has something to do with your ability to to cope with this, and also my responsibility to come and see my family and be with them at least for the weekend. You know. And how come you didn't just take a job here? Because the opportunity was for me to move to New York to work in New York, and uh, uh, I have a good title with the company. I was like a vice president of marketing. And that required me to be in New York because of all the headquarters of most of the airline in New York. Yeah. And so the the headquarters in New York, it, it's sometimes shocking to me and, and I can't, I have to bite my tongue. I can't always say something. When somebody comes as a client and says, oh, I don't find a job. Why? Well, you know, I have to, to drive to Santa Barbara. Or I have to drive to San Bernardino, or and I'm thinking, you guys are you're kidding me, because I used to drive 92 miles one way to work, yes. because that's where I had to live and that's where my job was. You flew, well, I don't know what is it, three thousand, four thousand miles, three thirty five hundred across the country, something like that, yes, for your family. Because I think part of what I learned was the ability to work hard for your family first, and that's very important yes. because it's missing today. A lot of people will think it's about themselves first. And you seem to put others. Tell me a story about. Uh, tell me the, uh, when you were young. You had maybe, well, let's say one of the hardest things you went through. Tell me about that time. It might have been ten years ago. It might have been fifty years ago. Whatever. But when you were younger, you had a tough time, and you had to make a decision. Can you remember what you think? If I was to say, what's the toughest time you went through? Actually, the toughest one is that when I was in Ainanu, you know, I have a couple cousins, they were going to school in a town called Shwaifet. 
And uh, I used to be able to walk from Ainanup to Shweifet and go through a hill and go through a valley. That valley that's in between you, you used to yes. walk down and walk up yes. the other side? Wow. And that's, uh, that was a hardship. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of wild animals too. And uh, so you, it's, it's kind of scary, but I was able to do it. And that was a hardship on me. Because yeah, it was something you had to do every day. Not quite every day, no, but uh, when I have to do it, I have to do it, you know. It's a, a very interesting. Think of a horseshoe shape, guys, where there's a road that runs along the outside of yes. the horseshoe. And one village is on the one point, and then the other village is on the other point. And instead of walking on the road, I guess it might have been dangerous, right, to walk around the road? Well, the no, cars. it's a long way. Oh, it is longer. It's very long. <laughs> the mind of a young person, you and I would say, well, why don't we just Uber? Well, <laughs> it didn't exist. It's a shortcut. Yeah, a shortcut. They would have a different name. I would almost say an Arabic name, but it <laughs> might not be going, might not go over well. It's like, why don't you just Fayed, you know? <laughs> Well, when you were young, your your mom and dad, your mom used to tell you stories. And I think in a family environment, as a young boy, they would share stories, share things about the happening in their town, in their village, uh, maybe just in the history, like maybe ancestors. Can you think of any story or any uh, conversation that they would have as maybe it was something they would tell all the time? Like we have stories that we always laugh about every once in a while when we get together as a family. Well, actually... Uh we have stories from the neighbors sometimes, you know, it's just kind of, <laughs> we had a guy used to be, he called himself a police officer in Syria and, and uh, in town, you know, when someone have a kid in Syria and when he comes back to town, they go to him and ask him, uh, have, you, have you seen my son? And, and he said, who's your son? said, my son is so-and-so. Oh, your son, so-and-so. I'm so sorry. Uh, he, he passed away and died and all that, you know. <laughs> and the mother starts screaming. Oh, no. Oh, my God. And then they did a funeral just about in the, in the town for him. And then all of a sudden, the son appeared <laughs> that day of his funeral. <laughs> Because the guy was trying to be a big shot and say that he knew yeah, everybody, of course. That he knows everybody. And all that. <laughs> so this is story been repeated most of the time in that town. Well, it's funny. In every culture, in every community, you always have the group that might be a little bit more picked on or that, that is a little bit more um, uh, uh, put down or they're doing the jobs that maybe others don't do. And so they... You know, it's that group of people that uh, are sometimes the butt of jokes, I guess that's the word to say. But one of the things that, that I looked at growing up is in our little town in Silmar, right, where we grew up, Silmar, California, we would be in this community, and there wasn't a lot. It was a working class community. There weren't a lot of men that would wear suits. But your job required you to wear a suit and tie. And I remember if you would come you would almost land from the airport probably just to arrive at the school in time for back to school night or if it were a open house or whatever it might have been graduation and you would be the only man in the audience with a suit and tie and it was a very uh and they used to pick on me too <laughs> yeah people would say things i remember my sister used to get 
picked on and said, oh, your dad thinks he's a big shot or your dad is, you know, you guys are rich and you think you're hot, all that. I remember thinking, like, what do they, where do they get that from? Because I saw that as just normal. That was your uniform, right? It was a very different time to think that. Yes, of course. I mean, uh, our job required for that and. And it was time for me to do that. You yes. Know? Yeah. That's, uh, but uh, that's how people take it sometimes. You know, they, they're they not used to it. Or, you know. When you were younger, your grandparents were involved quite a bit in your life. At what age do you remember your last memory of your, your grandparents? Well, on my father's side, I don't remember any of my... Uh, grandfather, but I do have my grandmother, and uh, that's how I named my daughter. Same name, Fatet, you know. Yes. Yeah, and she she lived up to almost a hundred years old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and she was very special. She was with you. She, yes, she was with us, living in the house. And uh, on my uh, mother's side, I have a grandmother and grandfather. And then they were not too far from our house where we live, so just a walking distance, you know. And uh, they uh, they own a lot of property there, and they have uh, fruit uh, farms and uh, vegetable and stuff like. That. So, did a lot of uh, a lot of the wealth in that area wasn't necessarily in dollars as much as it was in real estate or in right. the crops, the fruit, the olive trees, the fruit trees. Exactly. Yes. Know? Yeah, you have all kind of fruits and. Uh, Lebanon has always been known as the the basket, the fruit basket, if you will, to the Middle East because it had such rich soil yes. through the Bekaa Valley and through the trees, the olive trees and the orchards. It's one of the the best, if you will, olive oil. If I remember right, maybe rivals Greece or something. But from Lebanon, yes, yeah, from Lebanon. from Lebanon. And you see that when the times that I've been there, I've seen that it has been a very popular. Uh, thing to do is to go back home, if you will. You come to the United States or Australia or Europe. A lot of Lebanese live outside of of Lebanon, and they make their money, they make their wealth, and some of them will go back. Yes. And what do they do? They retire there. They retire there, and uh, but they they uh, they have family. They go back to their families, and uh, and they live the rest of their life over there. The one thing that both mom and I noticed is in that world, we couldn't figure out how people had a job. <laughs> like we're, We couldn't figure out, like, wait a second, what do these people do for a living? Because everybody was always out Monday through Sunday, drinking, partying, relaxing, eating dinner starting at 9 p.m. That's it's true. very European. That's true. In fact, most people, maybe you didn't know this, but Lebanon was the only country in the Middle East, and still to this day, one of the only countries in the Middle East, that had Christian, Muslim, and, and uh, Druze, which is what my father's faith is, Druze, but also Jewish people. In fact, there was a synagogue in Beirut up until, yes. I want to say, the Civil War. Was it 76 or maybe before that a little bit? Yeah, it's about uh, that time. And I think there still is, uh, but there aren't a lot of Jewish people. There were No, there was an area uh, was uh, nothing but Jewish people lives in there. Yeah, the Jewish quarter, I think they called it. Yeah, they get along with everybody, and uh, there was never a problem. Today, you have a lot of the the Jewish people, of course, are gone. Um, But when it comes to Christianity, and it's one of the only Middle Eastern countries 
that has Christian and Muslim that live coexist. Sometimes yes. maybe a little bit, no, no you know, they, a little bit sensitive, but they coexist. They're in the government together. They're in business together. It's a normal. They celebrate each other's holidays. Yeah, they sure Christmas do. and uh, and. Uh, I've never known a Lebanese to miss a holiday. It doesn't matter who it is. They would celebrate it with somebody if it's uh, good food and good drink. Folks, we're going to continue in just a minute. Uh, Let me give you our phone number. Uh, Certainly give us a call uh, tonight, today, this week. It doesn't matter. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. I have another segment with my dad this Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to those uh, men and women out there who who have their father, who, who create, who live who live for others. All right, that's what the men do. Uh, We'll continue in just a second. I'm Arif Hallaby with my special guest, Mr. Mike Hallaby, my dad, and we'll be back after this. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arif Hallaby. Hey folks, the Total Financial Hour, it's Arif Hallaby. Thanks for being a part of the show. If you're just joining us, this is a special edition. Uh, my father passed away this past week. Uh, and so I, I want to replay the show. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, because it's made a difference in your life. You shared that with me, uh, the stories. But I also want to share with you that, uh, that it's a very difficult time in our lives. Uh, and I was hoping to have him on the show one more time. Uh, he wasn't sick for any length of time. He was having lunch the day before with his friends and and uh, had a wonderful time with his family the day before. And in the morning, uh, woke up not feeling great and, uh, and then passed away. So uh, I share that with you because uh, I know many of you loved the stories that he shared with you and the kind of things that he did in his life. But I want to replay this particular show just for you. Eric Hallaby on the Total Financial Hour. That's with my dad coming up here on the replay, but it's good time for Father's Day. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Hey, welcome back to the show, the Total Financial Hour. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Eric Hallaby, special guest. On this Father's Day, Mr. Mike Hallaby, I'm a father of three, some of my favorite people in the world, my three children. And in addition to all of that, some of my other favorite people in the world are my dad and, of course, my mom and my siblings, uh, my sisters. But uh, dad joins us today. Dad, uh, we talked a little bit about being in Lebanon and some of the stories, some of the things that happen. And so part of this that's, uh, that's part of your story and why I don't speak with an accent is because I was born and raised here. So you came to the United States. Uh, but last we left off, you were in Liberia, West Africa. How did you end up coming to the United States from West Africa? Well, I uh, was offered a job in, in Liberia with an American company called Matisse Railway. And they were doing uh, uh, rails for a... Uh, for a distance of like a hundred miles, railroad, uh, like yes. you were welding, right? You welding, were a welder, right? Welding the rails together. And uh, when I was offered, they offered me a job. After this job completed, uh, to come to United States with them, they'll they'll bring me to United States and they'll give me a job. Their headquarters was in Chicago. Yeah, they call it Chicago Height, I think, at that time. So uh, I had a contract with them, and then they paid my way, and they brought me into this country when I 
when the job completed in Liberia. And uh, when I came, uh, I landed in New York. I don't know where to go. <laughs> yeah, there's, there was no, there wasn't anybody holding a sign no, that said ticket, Mike Halaby. <laughs> the, the ticket was only to New York. I didn't realize that. Oh, well, you're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had to get your own way to Chicago, maybe yes. by train or something. Yeah, I did like later on uh, after I spent a uh, couple of weeks in New York. At, at that time, the New York World's Fair was on. So The World's Fair, yeah. Yeah, so I was able to go on World's Fair every day to uh, enjoy the, the fair. Now, how much money did you have to come to the United States at that time? Because you had to have... I have 2800 That's a lot of money back then. At that time, yes. That might be, I don't know, 20000 maybe today. Right. How, how did you save that much money? Just in Lebanon? I mean, I'm sorry. No, in, uh, like yeah, working for the company, I was, uh, I was making like at that time five hundred dollars a month. You know, with the company, that's pretty good. That's real yeah. good. But in the meantime, I was sending my family in Lebanon, like uh, some of it every month. You know. Sure. Yeah. But uh, when I landed in New York, uh, I don't know where to go, so I just asked, seeing everybody getting a bus, you know. <laughs> I said, uh, I go to a hotel. They said, yeah, get in. So I get in the bus, and then the bus would take me to a bus station. I said, where's the hotel? He said, you take a cab to the hotel. Oh, my gosh. So I took a cab. I said, the closest hotel, and that happened to be the Taft Hotel. The Taft? Taft Hotel. Okay. It was $10 a night to stay at the hotel. It was a nice hotel. So I go down to the coffee shop, you know, have breakfast or lunch and that. And I take all that money out of my pocket, you know, to pay with my bill. And the waiter said, hey, wait a minute. You can't do that here. That money, you better put it away. Take it one dollar at a time because ah. anybody would see that money, they'll, they'll take you. it away from you. Yeah, right. So I thank her for that and then uh, start, uh, you know, going around and uh, I finally rented a room in in, uh, in Brooklyn. So you ended up in a room in Brooklyn, but unbeknownst to you, there was a 17-year-old young lady who was on a class trip from Michigan to New York at the World's Fair. That was their senior trip, and she was there at the same time at the at the World's Fair. And staying at the same hotel. Staying in the same hotel, and yet you did not meet. No, of course not. Not until weeks later. No. Maybe months later. No, more than that. Because when when was the World's Fair? When did you arrive in the United States? If I, if I remember right, it was July or August, something like that. Okay. Maybe yeah. before that, because mom's birthday was your first date, and that's August 31st. So I think it, and she was still in school. It was her, her senior trip. <clears throat> so it was probably, could have been like May or June. April, May, something like that, probably. Could be. I mean, I don't remember the date exactly, but uh, but I ended up in a room, renting a room in Brooklyn, and somehow I uh, was paying like I think it was sixty dollars a month. Okay. For the room, it's not bad. Yeah, comparing to three hundred dollars a month at the hotel. Wow. Yeah. So that's a great saving. So yeah, and I used to take the the, the subway, you know, the subway for pennies to get to the city, huh? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a good transportation there. 
So you ended up now, if we take and fast forward, trying to figure out, I'm, I'm going to start a business. I need, I need to get to California. Now, why did California come into your mind? Okay. It's, it's a long story. I don't know if you have time. <laughs> we don't. We have about 15 minutes. But uh, tell me. No, I, uh, I flew to Washington. I flew to West Virginia. There was a convention in West Virginia at Charleston. Uh, and I met uh, someone who I met in Lebanon, and I helped him translate. He got married to a Lebanese girl. And I happened to translate for him at that time because I spoke the English language, you know. And then uh, he walked in to the hotel, and the minute I saw him, I knew who he, were, who he was. I approached him, and I said, who I on? And he remembered me, and he gave me his business card. He said, you come to California, you have a place to stay, and you have a job to do. I said, okay, I'll keep that in mind, you know. But then I went back to New York. And from New York, I ended up in Michigan, and I started working in Michigan. But I kept his card, and uh, and after we met my wife, and we got married, and we decided to come to California, and then we drove. I bought me a car, and we drove to California. So you never decided to not work. You always had an opportunity to oh, work. Yes, that was always a goal. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. wasn't sitting around trying to get no, something for free no. because you exist. So... Uh, so we came, and uh, my wife was the uh, map quest at that time. <laughs> yes, she was the map quest. Yes. Donna she, quest. She holding the map, and <laughs> and I'm doing the driving. So it took us three days to get here. And you guys visited sites along the way, because this was yeah, basically we, your honeymoon, yeah, right? Yeah, we stopped every night and stayed in a hotel. And, yeah. And this is your honeymoon on the way across America. Just about, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, we end up at uh, this guy here on a hotel in Anaheim. We stayed at the hotel in Anaheim, and uh, he offered us a job. And Was Disneyland? I think Disneyland was open, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, so yeah. he was close to Disneyland, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah, he has property actually close to Disneyland, too. Yeah, he's well-to-do. He was well-to-do. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, from there on, you know, I didn't like working in the hotel, so. And I always like to work for myself and get. To. So we moved into North Hollywood and. Uh, so you guys ended up. So I want to fast forward a little bit because there is uh, a couple of things that you are doing in business along the ways. I'm going to. I may get it out of order, but this is just my memory. You had a bakery, mm-hmm. and mom was eight months pregnant with my older sister, putting uh, what, what folks, what you guys call pita bread. We called it Arabic bread growing up. And if you're Armenian, you probably called it Armenian bread. It's pita bread. And uh, you, had a, you had a bakery. I think it was in Hollywood, right? No. Uh, bakery in the city of Commerce. Commerce. Okay. And so then uh, the bread would come off the line. Mom was eight months pregnant, putting it in, tying up the bags. Plastic, yeah. Yep. So you had a bakery. Then you had a, was it a cafe? What was next? No, I have uh, three beer bars. Beer bars, that's right. You had bars. And uh, Santa Clarita was one of them. One of them, Santa Clarita, one in Pacoima, one in Chesworth. Okay, so in the northern San Fernando Valley and Santa Clarita Valley. Yeah. So then you were from there. You had the the cafe at Whiteman Airport in San Fernando. Correct. So you had ran owned and ran the cafe for the pilots, basically. Yeah. You learned to fly. That's right. 
And uh, the Cessna is 172, I guess? What was it that you were Yeah, talking? 150 to begin with, and then 172, yeah. And I remember you would fly around quite a bit and yeah. do acrobats and do crazy stuff. And Well, I took you one time to Upper Valley on the I flight. remember. I remember. Yep, I was yeah. a little boy. What I didn't, what I remembered, which was crazy, is sometimes you would come home and after you did all the acrobatic stuff and you would tell mom, oh, by the way, I did double loop and barrel. Right, and, right. and this way you would get, what is it, forgiveness instead of permission? <laughs> so well, This is what they teach you to do, you know, <laughs> to, to do the... Uh, the barrel roll or the, uh, uh, the stalls. Yeah, stall, yeah. yeah. So you flew for many years. That was kind of fun. Yeah. And then from there, you ended up in the produce business. Produce, yeah. And so many of you guys would remember Pup and Taco. Yes. I remember that because as a little boy, I must have been five, six years old, and you had the Pup and Tacos, the restaurants, and uh, I would try to go to work with you, certainly in the summertime, and you would, uh, mom would take the orders throughout the day, give me two cases of tomatoes, one case of lettuce, whatever it was, and then um, you would come home, go to sleep early, get up at maybe midnight or one o'clock in the morning. Two o'clock, yeah. Two o'clock. Because you would have to be where? At the markets downtown. The farmer's market? Yeah, farmer's market because they open up early. So you have to pick up the your orders and produce and then deliver them to the stores, you know. I used to have the chain of Papantaco. I was uh, in charge of supplying them all the... Do you remember how many stores that was? About 12, I think. Wow. Of them, yeah. And it wasn't, wasn't just the San Fernando Valley. Didn't they go over the hill yeah, a little bit? Yeah. Pasadena, Burbank, and all of yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so the Pup and Taco ended up being bought by somebody. I tried to remember this the other day. Was it uh, Del Taco or Taco Bell? One of, the, one of the chain restaurants. I don't know, but uh, they're not uh, in business anymore. No, no. Uh, you also had. Be- it's not because of me. <laughs> <laughs> you left. <laughs> They said, we're out of business. Uh, Chinese food restaurants. So you would supply a lot of the mom-and-pop restaurants. definitely. Yeah, yeah. a couple of chains, but mom-and-pop mostly. Yeah, there's no limit. Uh, And then how did you get into the airline business? Well, uh, after I sold my business, my produce business, I have a friend. uh, He he has a travel agency, and he has a – so I start working for him, you know as a travel agent. And then from there, I got to know the airline and I started working for the airline. I was offered a job. So between grocery business, hotel business, uh, bar business, bakery, travel agency, airline business, to vice president of an airline, uh, of, of the cargo division of the, for the United States anyway, uh, that's, that's pretty incredible. That's Lebanese. That is the Lebanese. If you know it, I guess it's what ha- – you know, the, what's amazing to me when I think about this, Dad, is I think about never giving up, right? How many people – and, you know, my heart breaks for them because it, it, there has to be a level of sympathy, and, and there is. I'm, it's harder for me to find it sometimes the older I get when people say, well, there just isn't a job. And every day you can turn on the news and you hear – there's six million jobs that there aren't enough people to fill. I understand there isn't a job if you, but it's because people say, "I want a job that looks like this." Get weekends off. I only drive this far. I want all of these benefits. I can't work past this. I need two weeks vacation. 
And you go, well, of course there isn't a job. Nobody knows you. Why would they give you anything yet? And you were somebody that taught me because I don't remember not having at least two jobs for nearly most of my young life. I always had two jobs. Even when I was a Los Angeles policeman, when uh, you lost your job, when Iraq invaded Kuwait, that was August 1st of 1990. By August 3rd of 1990, I think the FBI and the Treasury Department shut down the entire airlines in the United States, including your pension, including your paycheck. Everything was gone. And I believe you were, what, 55, 56 years old at the time? So 56, 55-year-old man loses 100% of his pension. You see, you guys think your pension is yours. It's not yours. It belongs to the company. It belongs to the state. It belongs to the city. You're entitled to a paycheck, and you're entitled to a piece of it. But if they change their mind or they file bankruptcy or there's a collapse or whatever the issue is or fraud like, like in uh, Orange County, right? anything can happen. You don't know. So part of what I want you to do is to learn from the story of a man who's in his 80s and who worked his tail off, who, didn't, who wasn't from this country, right? didn't understand the culture, the, the customs, the, the system, and never – Not once did you ever allow me or mom or the kids or my sisters to go without food. Not once. In fact, we always had fresh food, I think because of your time in the the produce business. And I tell this story. I tell this with uh, mom the other day. Uh, I didn't even know that vegetables came in a can until I was probably 12 years old. I remember coming down the street because I stayed at the neighbor's house, you know, the the folks across the street with the six kids. And I remember staying there. Like spent the night, you know, uh, stayed stayed overnight, and I come home the next day. I go, Mom, Dad, you wouldn't believe this. They have corn in a can, and you guys were like, Yeah. I said, Well, no, no, no. It comes in a can. It's already off the thing. And you said, Yes, of course. But it was shocking to me because in that time and in that world, it wasn't something that I ever understood that existed. It was we were, we had such healthy food. We may not have had. You know, a new bicycle every Christmas and every birthday, like the young man across the street. Remember, he he had a new bike twice a year. We may not have had a fancy new camper to go camping like those other kids down the way. But we never went without food. Fresh food. Fresh food. And so then 1976 happens, and we'll finish up with this. There's a civil war in Lebanon. And at that period of time, that civil war in Lebanon, you went back to bring back some people. Yes, I brought in back about 35 people from my family. Yes, I I have to get them from Lebanon to Jordan. uh, That's closed in Lebanon because of the war. So we have to take them to Jordan and then do all the paperwork in Jordan, bring them here from Jordan. Yeah. And one of the jobs that I failed to mention that you did for about a week was you worked in the U.S. Embassy. <laughs> As a volunteer. As a volunteer to help issue visas because they were overloaded, but you were an American citizen at that time for years, spoke the language, understood the culture, understood the people, spoke English, of course, fluently. And so they asked for some assistance to help sort out some of the visas. It was more than one week, actually. Was it really? <laughs> yeah. For how long? couple of weeks, yeah. And what was your job? Just to interview people at the window and uh, issue visa if they if they're interviewed correctly, you know. Make sure they were telling the truth, whatever yes, it might of be. Of course, yeah. 
And one of the things that uh, you shared with me that still to this day helps me understand the impact that you had on this earth, probably for generations, maybe forever, for as long as we're still a planet, you know, was you were going to a gas station and you were filling up your gas tank and something happened. Yeah, I pulled into a gas station on Roscoe by the freeway, 170 freeway. And then all of a sudden, a guy ran, ran into me, and he looked at me, and he said, you gave me visa to come to the United States. And I he's said, in Arabic, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember him, you know, but of course. Uh, I said. Yeah. Was he working at the station? He owned yes, the station he was right working now. at the gas station. Yeah. And he, he ran like crazy. I mean, You're the one who gave me visa to come to the United States. I said, okay. Are and that happy? was in 1976. Yeah. Are when, you happy here? He said, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and when you ran into him was how long ago? Just a few years. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. Uh, it was like 30 years plus went by. Yeah. I yeah, it was mean, just uh, a few years ago. So from 1976 to, let's say, 2005, 2006, 30, 30 years go by. Yeah. Maybe it was soon. Maybe it was uh, 2010. But, but recently. I think he owned the gas station. He did. Time. Yeah. He, he did own the gas station. Yes. And what's amazing to me is you brought somebody. Now, he doesn't remember. I mean, I mean, sorry, you don't remember. You don't remember his, his face. There's people. Yes, of course. But 30 years go by and you, he remembers you. Yeah, he remembers. 30 years go by and he had children. Yeah. He owned a gas station. Yeah, he owned his business and all. He's a contributing member of society, yeah. and he still had the class to come and thank you. Yeah. Well, sometimes when you do good to somebody, you don't remember the person, but the person being good to him, he remember these things, you know. So this is, unfortunately, not everybody like that, but some people do, you know. And sometimes it's easy to get frustrated, even when we're doing good, even when we're trying to make a difference. That's right. You forget that it can be a little bit uh, inconvenient yeah. to be decent. But So this is uh, – I'm pretty excited. I'm glad you were able to make it to the show. Thank you. Yeah. You're a special guy. You know that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You had one uh, son. That's me. And you also have two grandsons and one granddaughter on my side and then two other grandsons. Yes. So you have a long legacy of five grandchildren on this earth. Thank God for that. Yes. Getting healthier and stronger. One of them, my uh, youngest boy, had some issues, but he's getting stronger and better after the surgery. I want to tell you guys, uh, there's a lot of amazing hospitals we have. Providence is an incredible place here in Southern California. Um, and I have to also say that uh, UCLA... They uh, helped my youngest son out uh, recently and did an amazing job. So uh, you need to think. Think that you live at a time where there are amazing medical uh, facilities and incredible physicians. Right? I mean, I get it. They're just people. But you need to understand that these are human beings that do their craft to make sure that you survive. All the way through from the physicians to the people that deliver the produce who make a difference in people's lives. And that man, his children, who are American citizens now, of course, because they are born here, make a difference in this world. I mean, you don't even know that the man who owned that gas station, maybe his grandchild will become the doctor who cures cancer. That's right. Right? Or his granddaughter is the first astronaut that lands on Mars. 
I mean, you just don't know. Yes, yeah. Right? It could be uh, the difference. Or the president of the United States. Or the president of the United States. <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah. And then you get a seat to just sit at the inauguration right up at the front row. <laughs> I'll be your guest. Can I? Hey, folks, thanks for listening to the show. It's the Air of Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour. Listen, th- this is a special edition. Next week, we're back to our regular programming. I appreciate you being part of the show. Uh, your emails, arif at tfswealth.com. That's arif, A-R-I-F, at tfswealth.com. A chance for you to learn, hopefully, uh, some some of the stories, maybe not having to go through some of the problems that so many people have to when it comes to their finances. You can learn by listening to their emails and their answers that I give uh, here on the Total Financial Hour. And on a final note, my dad was an amazing man. He was the best man in my wedding. Some of you know that. I may have even shared that. But as the best man in my wedding, it's because when I looked at him one day and I said, Dad, you know, I'm going to be married. He said, yeah, that's great news. Excited. He was so happy. I said, we're putting together the wedding. He said, oh, I can't wait. I said, hey, Dad, I want you to be my best man. And he looked at me and he thought, well, that's kind of he kind of almost maybe even felt bad. He goes, so none of your, none of your friends, are you sure you don't want to have any of your friends be the best man? I said, no, no, I have other men standing up with me. Other friends from a junior, from a high school, actually one from junior high and one from high school. I said, but the title is best man. And on this father's day, I want you to remember the best man should be in your life. I didn't say perfect man, but I said the best man, my best man was my dad. Happy father's day to all you. And, Happy Father's Day to you, Dad, in heaven. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.